0: I played every game as if it was my last out there. You know, I was very proud to sort of play for my country and I played every game, you know, thinking this could be my last game, so I'm just going to be free.
1: Hello and welcome to Pivot Points, a podcast exploring the
2: pivot points in people's lives, loves, losses and leadership. Each week, we take our guests on a retrospective delving into their mindset, perspective and choices at the time of their pivotal moments and what they've taught them in the long run. We explore how the good and the bad,
1: happiness and deep sadness, success and failure are in fact inseparable. And we learn that real strength is born from hardship.
2: We're your hosts, Gabby Miller and Amelia Saval. We're both professional coaches, so in between recording podcasts, we can be found supporting our clients through their leadership and life challenges so Amelia tell us about our wonderful guest today who are we meeting we're meeting Will
1: Jefferson who I have the great pleasure of having worked with in the past and he is a professional cricketer or was a professional cricketer in his sporting career and is now a wonderful team and personal development coach. And he has a really beautiful story to tell us today, some amazingly personal pivots um, to go through about what happened in parallel to his very successful career. He played professionally for Essex He played professionally for Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire, and for England. So he's had a really impressive career so far.
2: Um, He's brilliant. I loved speaking to him. He's such a kind and open man. And I took a lot from his episode. He talks to us about losing his mother to bowel cancer when he was 26 and a bone marrow disease that ended his career. And he talks with such vulnerability and heart about them. Mm. So I feel i really valued that actually in the conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think what we've really found, certainly talking to all the sports people, there is definitely a theme emerging here around what happens when the, the book closes on that particular chapter, because you're still young, you're still Want to continue working, and it's like, what then? And I think certainly for Will, it was taken away from him too early. He was really mm-hmm. in his prime, and mm-hmm. what we really learn here is the power of mindset on performance. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really the catalyst, if you will, for what he does now is about how mindset affects your performance within the workplace, within your team, within your relationships, etc. So. He's seen it in real time, and I think he appreciates so much more that we are talking about it. Like, mental health is something that is talked about, and you don't have to be a manly, macho sportsman. You can still have feelings, emotions, need to process and work things through and work things out. So I love that he's another one of our trailblazers and
2: permission givers, certainly to men, to be able to feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, Will. And we yes. hope you all enjoy the episode. Dive on
1: in. Will, thank you so much for joining us on Pivot Points.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Really excited about the, the conversation we're, we're going to be having.
1: Yes, us too. Us too. You've given us two beautiful pivot points to to explore with you your first one is at the tender age of 26 actually and I'm not going to come to the pivot point yet I just want you to give us if that's okay a bit of context around who you were at 26 what was going on in your life at 26 and then you can kind of lead us through to to the pivot
0: yeah of course i guess i was um incredibly fortunate to be um doing something as a career that i was was um i absolutely loved and i was playing professional sport um so i've always thought of my 20s as a a sort of opportunity to um be sort of traveling the world and and meeting amazing people and and just having some amazing um, life experiences i had been a professional by that stage for about six years i would had three years at university I'm um, in my early 20s um, and then i had been involved with uh, one of the professional counties in England, um, Essex County Greek Club, and my career had been um, progressing, what I would sort of say, quite nicely. I've been very um, determined and very focused um, in sort of my outlook to what I wanted to achieve as a, a professional sports person. Even at 26, i I'd had an opportunity to spend quite a bit of time in South Africa, um, also Australia as well. So just these different sort of cultural experiences, I think, could really open my eyes um, to the sort of the big wide world out there.
2: So you're 26 and it sounds like your life is going beautifully and you've had richer experiences than most. Um, So which brings us to your first pivot point, um, which was losing your mother when you were 26. Can you tell us a little bit about that time?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the summer before I was sort of shared the news um, by her that she had cancer, she had bowel cancer, was across my whole 12 year professional career it was the most um, successful season I had as a professional cricketer. So in terms of reaching a, a peak and a high, um, that season um, really sort of sticks out in the memory for the, for the success I had. Um, my name was being talked up a lot in the press and in the national newspapers about being selected for England. Um, I, I didn't make any sort of national squads that winter. And I went to New Zealand and took up an opportunity um, in Auckland to go and play club cricket and coach. Um, it was an amazing, again, sort of experience to get overseas and, and um, enjoy everything there was to enjoy about you know, the most amazing country. Um, when I returned, my mum and dad had come out to New Zealand. So they came out for three weeks at the very end of my trip. When I returned, um, a couple of weeks after I got back, um, I went home up to North Norfolk. I remember this obviously incredibly clearly. I was sort of sat down at the kitchen table in, in the kitchen at home. And that's when my mum had to share the news that she had cancer. Um, she passed away 18 months later. So that was how long sort of her battle was with, um, with cancer, cancer itself. Um, I guess in all essence, I went into that season and performance wise, I, I carried on as I had been on a sort of upwards trajectory, especially sort of in the early part of the season. I don't think probably the news had quite hit me, um, sort of as hard as, as it did start to over time, um, because it was all so new and, and I was so young and, I guess there's this element of just continuing to do what you love and, and being busy was something that we as a family realized that we couldn't stop everything and, and stop doing what, um, what was important to us. So yes, there was, there was sort of incredibly close family, um, sort of close-knit family. I've got two older sisters and an older brother. I'm the youngest of four. There's a seven-year age gap up to just over seven years up to my next sister so we were all at different phases of our lives. Um, they were either in relationships or um, sort of had young, very small children, uh, one or two children. So I was sort of free and single and, and experiencing all these amazing things. And yet here there was this sort of sudden shock and this news that I had to start to, to deal with and understand and, and sort of lean on, obviously, my, my father and, and sort of brother and sisters. And, yeah, it sort of things started to unravel I guess a bit a little bit from there onwards.
1: So I'm hearing that performance-wise an external experience of the the cricketing career was still in an upward trajectory. You were going out there you know performing really well. What what was it like on the on the end what was the internal experience of understanding and processing your mother's illness?
0: I guess the internal experience was one of um, i guess sort of fast forwarding to the the moment where she passed away it was a It was a real sort of questioning of, of who I was and what I was doing, what my purpose was, um, what direction I wanted to go in. I guess in that period, um, certainly that eighteen month period and then the period after she passed away that 's where I sort of lost a sense of of understanding how to go out and perform and how to go out and do what I'd been sort of building up all these years to be able to do. And, and I think this links in, and we'll, we'll probably come to this in the second pivot point, it, it links into to your identity as a sports person, being so um, sort of interwoven into who you are, that um, that identity, I think, because of because of the loss of my mother, I started to really um, question so many things. I mean, I remember questioning a lot sort of why, why was the person that loved me the most in my life sort of taken from me as a, as a 26, 27-year-old. And, and that sort of, that led to a period um, that really sort of, I guess in my own mind, was, was an extended period of grief and an extended period of trying to get my head around that loss. Um, and again, it was, uh, you know, this realization that you, you have to put on this front when you're going out to, to to play sport and to do what you need to do to earn a living. But I think there's so much that um, is unhealthy about that in regards to um, not necessarily, I guess, in my own mind, being able to make sense of and understand the emotions that I was going through at that time of, of. The emotions wrapped up in grief in in sort of sadness and loss and everything that goes with that, um, and I think that's yeah, that was certainly a period now that I can reflect on and, and look back on and start to understand a little bit better. I think what comes to mind for me particularly is the is the sort of the personal change curve the 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 model by kubler ross and i 've been thinking about this in recent months, obviously in regard to how we are dealing with the, the pandemic and COVID-19. Um, but for me, the downslope into the, the, the bottom of that dip was um, something that I now look back on and go, well, yeah, that, that really did happen to me. And that dip was, was very, very low. And that dip was a very difficult thing to start to um, sort of look forward out of and, and almost find those first steps to help me sort of move forward in my life.
1: So am I... Just to understand a little further that there was de- the the internal and external experiences were very very different or was this having an impact on your performance as a cricketer on, on your life and your relationships in your with your teammates
0: even there's there's no doubt it was um i i moved from one county to another around that time and i think that what i look back on now is that i had an incredible um, support network in the place I was playing at at Essex. I had friends that I sort of got to know in my late teens, and um, you know the, the, everything that went with the dressing room. Um, there were there were people in that dressing room that I I sort of genuinely bonded with, and and were a sort of very important part of my my sort of friendship group. Um, I left that group around that time, so I started afresh and I moved to a, a new new county. I moved to a new city. And actually, what I lost was that was probably that network that I needed at that particular time and mm-hmm. so moving cities being in a totally new place I think all these things hit me a lot harder as a consequence of the timing of, of some of these things happening so on the outside um, the the performance basically went from sort of hero to zero there was there was a lot of um, difficulty for me going on inside in terms of grappling with um, with the loss of my mother and the impact on me and um, us as a family but actually um, yeah the impacts on those looking in from the outside was he's not the player he used to be and and he's not you know he's not performing like he did and and what's happened to this you know this real talent this potential that was there obviously I think when you're going through a a loss of uh, confidence and a loss of Sort of self-esteem that that you get from uh, those types of lows in performance you you really question why you're doing it and what else you could potentially be doing instead and i think that led to further confusion and further um misunderstanding i guess of who i was and what i was doing as a professional sports person um, and that's now looking back on it that was yeah it wasn't at all an easy time but actually there are parts of the story that follow on from that that I'm particularly proud about. And
1: Funnily enough, because I know you know her, this has echoes of when we talked to Ebony. She was talking about the dip. And it was, again, it was a grief um, story for her. But she started talking about the quality of the questions she was asking herself, and it really sounds like that's exactly what was happening to you, these questions about why me... What changed in order to kickstart a new way of thinking in, in order to bring you out of that downward spiral?
0: So I, Part of what changed was the realisation there's only sort of so much pain and suffering that you can, you can put yourself through. There's a realisation that you've, you've had to ask those questions. You've, you've done it um, with your own sort of best cause in mind, but actually there's a point where, um, yeah, I I guess time is a healer. Um, I've, yeah, sort of fully understand that um, it's very, it's sort of very human to suffer. That suffering for me uh, did continue for quite a long time. It it probably um, made me retreat into myself, um, reflecting on the conversation we're, we're sort of having today, I thought there was there was a lot of negative energy there. And mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, in my grief, I directed that negative energy inwardly towards myself. Yeah, it was not a, a healthy place to be. And it's that experience that I have that I feel I am able to talk about and reflect on now. Yeah, I guess the deepness of my the sort of love for my mother created, I think, a, a deepness in the grief I felt and the, the extended nature of that as well. What
1: would you tell your 26-year-old self? Would you would you want to do the grief cycle again like that? Or what what would your advice be to your younger self now?
0: Again, I, I have I've thought about this and reflected on it. I for whatever reason, my way through grief at that time was actually to, to push away the people closest to me. So not mm. to bring them closer, not to Um, voice uh, what was sort of going on inside for me not to to have that openness and that need to to share my emotions and share my my sadness my anger my guilt whatever it was I was feeling so I think that advice would be that the 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 people closest to you are there um, to to have those types of conversations with and because I didn't have those conversations at the time I think that's deepened the grief and it and it extended that period a lot longer as a consequence. And, but, but for me, that would be some advice I would give, I think. It would be whatever emotions you're feeling, no matter how much you can't make sense of them, no matter how much you're, you're questioning everything, as you said, in terms of the, the, the quality of the questions you're asking yourself, have those conversations, keep that dialogue, um, no matter how hard you're finding it, um, with the people that are closest to you and, and sort of love you the most.
1: We interviewed Olivia Potts, didn't we? And she was talking about the grief for her mother, actually. And, and, um, and she, again, would give pretty much near on exactly the same advice. That It took her, I think, seven years to get onto the therapist chair. And I thought she gave a lot of permission there for it to be OK, for it to take seven years to actually be ready to deal with it. And that there's no right or wrong answer to grief
0: yeah i um olivia's interview with with you was was stunning it was beautiful i listened to it a couple of times and i think one thing i remember her saying was that she was trying to rationalize everything and trying to rationalize her grief and and i think for me um whether sport had taught me this or not whether it's part of my character i was a very deep thinker and and i think that's probably also something that's that's taught me lessons um, about how I lead my lo- life now and how I want to lead my life, sort of both, um, sort of personally and professionally. So yeah, her story did really resonate with me when I heard it.
1: And so, and so, what came next for you? That takes you actually to the time of your second pivot point. Does it feel right to move into the, into that? No. Yeah,
0: it does. I worked with a coach at that particular time. He had known me as a teenager. Um, his name was Tim Boone. I would like to I've mention it now. He I guess he took me under his wing and he was the coach that sort of helped me start to to find my game again and, and and through a lot of um difficulty and frustration in terms of the work we did together. This is more sort of on my 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 game and my my mindset and and the sort of the technical side of the game. I genuinely have him to thank and it was probably his patience more than anything that he could see someone here who wasn't himself and, and wasn't performing anywhere near his uh, his ability and his potential but over a period of time and again it through working with him it was probably another 12 months to 18 months before um everything started to sort of fall into place again and, and what that produced i guess in my own mind it was a, a sort of Realisation of the resilience that had taken to, to bounce back from this period in my life it was genuinely sort of finding that um, enjoyment and love of the game again that I'd had as a as a child and and through my sort of early twenties that had also um, disappeared over over a long period of time over five or six years um, and through that process, yeah, that that energy, that passion, that desire, that all all returned.
1: Well, it's not just that your passion returned, Will. You made it onto the England cricket team. (laughs) I mean, it's slightly more than a Sunday knock around in the park. Like you were playing by that point at a national level.
0: No, the national level did come actually in that period um, before. So even though um, I was feeling everything I was feeling, I... Yeah, selection for the national team. Yeah, it was it wasn't those, it wasn't that period where it came. It it came in the middle of all all the 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 difficulty and the grief I spoke about. So I guess it showed to me this difference between where you're at in yourself and your life and and what's going on, as opposed to what can be done in terms of the performance you can put in. And in, in my case, I genuinely think that it was sort of my attitude, my attention to detail um obviously there was the talent there and the the potential that they saw in me but i was yeah i was a long way from being myself internally for what they were seeing in me as a cricketer at that time in my life my name had not really been in sort of international conversations for probably three or four years but There was probably this sort of flicker or this glimmer that he could still go on and do it you know he has the talent he has the ability and we we had a month's worth of um, training at loughborough university which was incredibly intense it was high pressure sort of situations and environments that the coaches were putting us under Um, and we toured we went to bangladesh for a month so we had a tour in bangladesh and actually in in on that tour my performances were okay I averaged 50 runs across three games um, in the one-day matches looking back on it when i played in those matches out in bangladesh and i sort of put the England the england shirt on the england cap and this this i do hold sort of very close to me um i i played every game as if it was my last out there you know i was very proud to sort of play for my country and i played every game you know, thinking this could be my last game. So I'm just going to be free. I'm going to be be happy. I'm going to enjoy every second of it. I'm going to enjoy my team. I'm going to enjoy the environment we're in, which was genuinely a high performance environment. All the, all the factors led to the most incredible, you know, experience and the most sort of fond memories as a consequence. I love hearing that.
2: So this brings us to your second pivot. So, when you were 31, you were diagnosed with a rare bone marrow
0: disease,
2: which ended your career.
0: Yeah, again, um, I sort of spoke earlier about the, the peak in my career um, that happened. I guess what I created um, all these years later was, was without doubt a second peak because the season before uh, I had this news um, about my injury I'd had, I'd had a fantastic season. It was, um, we won a, we won a major trophy here in the UK, the team I was part of. Um, I was able to contribute to that um, trophy sort of on a big stage and under, under immense pressure. Yeah, the news, the news sort of came that I, I'd had a, a sort of a, a groin injury and that had turned into a hip difficulty and I'd had some injections in my hip and they weren't doing the trick. And um, so this all led me to, I guess, to have some scans and had to have an appointment with a specialist. And it's that moment again, when you're sitting in front of somebody and I'm sat in his office and he's got all of this information in front of him. And he's looking at me and he's going, you're never going to run on this hip again. You know, um, the deci- this decision about you, whether you carry on or not, has been made by what I'm seeing here in these scans. This pain you're feeling in your hip um, it is something that's going on in your in your bone in, in you know it's not muscular it's not tendon it's not something we're going to work through and, and you'll be better again in a few weeks or a few months so yeah that news um, yeah I'm sort of being told being given these crutches and being told to go away for a week or 10 days and and when you come back I'll have I'll have to call. You know, the surgeon said I'll be speaking to four or five people around the world. I haven't got any answers for you right now. From what we're seeing here in these scans, um, go away, come back, and then we'll have another conversation. And so immediately, this started to sort of set a whirl of things off in motion. Of, of I'm not going to recover from this. This is now, this is now the end of my my sort of sporting career and basically there were two options that he um, sort of came back to me with. The first was to drill, I think, into the the hip bone to sort of create a micro fracture that allows the bone to recover. Um, Option two was um, basically to be put on a drip. The drip would sort of open up all the blood vessels in my, in my body. And uh, I needed to be on this drip and basically in hospital for a week. And yeah, the sensation I felt going through that at the time, and, and basically when they put the drip in, they said your headache is going to feel nothing like you've ever felt in your life before. The um, the longer you can put up with the discomfort of the headache and, and what you're feeling going on inside your body, the more it's going to help your recovery and the more it's going to allow you to, to sort of put this um, behind you. So the drip started at 9 in the morning and... Again, for five days, I was on this drip from, I think, nine in the morning till two or three in the afternoon. It was literally close the curtains, turn the TV off, lie there, having to deal with whatever this was doing to, to my body. And, and three of those five days, I was able to put up with it. They said, if it's too much, just tap out.
1: So that's brutal, brutal. That's just to get you... Up on your feet again, but throughout this, you have the knowledge that you will never play again.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: What goes on in your mind knowing that and going through the intensity of the treatment? Where did your head go then?
0: But in my mind, I had some of these previous experiences to draw on. So I had everything I'd been through through um, the loss of my mother and my grief and um, I had that as a sort of resilience bank you know my well of resilience was pretty deep I think having dealt with that and having recovered and having you know put um, a healing process in place so you know coming out of the hospital I think the next message was go away for a month you're on crutches basically for three or four months but um, do not leave the house for more than 15 minutes a day for the next month. Um, you know, the most you can do is walk to the end of the street and back. And I was a pretty active, you know, my life had been one built around activity and exercise and ball sports and ball games and just loving, you know, getting out there and, and keeping my body moving. So suddenly I was sort of told, no, don't do that. Stop it. It's in your own best interest for your future and your hip and your body to just press pause basically so that's what I what I had to do.
1: You were in a great preparation for 2020 the actual
0: year. But that's that's exactly um, when the pandemic hit you know dealing with uncertainty is something that I'd had quite a unique experience of I think in terms of the uncertainty of um, and I was told at the time by the surgeon he said you, you may need your hip replaced within a year that was something he said i think he said on a scale of one to ten i can't tell you about your recovery i can't give you time frames um sort of moving ahead so this is definitely um informed one of my sort of belief systems in the fact that i have still got the same hip nearly 10 years later and that's a sort of a, an understanding and a i guess a, a sort of yeah sort of looking after myself and and all those things, I think have, have allowed me to, um, you know, grow in strength and and realize that that was a period of I went through and I talked about, you know, the, the mind was, was having this impact and I and I'd had experiences through that, I I'd got myself into some great places physically over my career. But then suddenly, that's, you know, that's, that was my lot basically at that time. And um, yeah, at the age of 31, I think i think what was hardest to take is that you know here i was i'd had a peak in my career and then i'd um obviously had the news about my mother and and and, and lost her quite soon after i then created this second peak in my career and here i was 12 months later i actually announced my retirement um purposely exactly 12 months of the day after 2020 finals day after that amazing occasion where we won the trophy and um, you know, we had the time of our lives in that sort of 24 hours winning that match. And, you know, it's everything you dream about playing in front of 30,000 people in a stadium, all sort of screaming and shouting and live on, on television. Twelve months later, um, I had announced my retirement from the sports.
1: So 31 was nearly 10 years ago. So mm. what happened then I mean you haven't put this down as a pivot point but you're you know you're smashing it in your own business right now I just kind of wondered if you could just let us know where you are now and the work you do now it's so impactful
0: that's very kind of you to say I I sort of see that period when you retire from sport I, I sort of feel it's quite it's a very impressionable period there's a lot uh, that we understand around sports people finding a real sort of difficulty in in, in finding drive and purpose and creating a, a sort of new identity. I think um, that word identity and, and professional sort of sport goes hand in hand. I think that's where a lot of the difficulty lies in terms of um, moving on when when a sporting career comes to a close. I guess I was Fortunate in the fact that I had a little bit of a buffer um, because of my contract situation and my the nature of my injury and its seriousness, I did end up having surgery on my hip. But all in all, I started to just find a, I guess it, yeah, it's this new purpose, the new direction that all the you know all the all the great positive energy that started to come with that. I think deep down inside, I'd sort of thought to myself, well that's my cricket career. And the and commitment I've made to myself was that I want to set myself on a track now that creates a second career that's just as meaningful and fulfilling to me in what I do and how I work as my career as a professional sports person. And again, it comes back to to identity, I hadn't been really building up a career in the background, I hadn't been um, focusing on what I would do with my life after sport. Um, and I did, I was introduced to uh, to a business coach. And we, we basically got to work, we, we went through quite an intense one to one coaching process. And that that approach that he took, and um, the way that we work together, I think that left a real sort of imprint on me in terms of how to support someone through a process, but also challenge as well. In regard to this, is not necessarily going to be a comfortable process we go through, but where we're going to get you to um, towards the end of it. You know, where when we get there, it's going to be a pretty good thing um, when it comes around, and that that was certainly a sort of foundation. Um, that really, I think, you know, that, that's, again, quite a long time ago, it's, it's eight or nine years ago. But um, in the way that I work now, and the, the fortune I've had to come across incredible um, coaches and mentors, people like yourselves, you know, to tap into that expertise and that um, sort of understanding of if you put a process around you, and you have a you have a goal. You have ambition. No matter where you are, sort of with your 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 mindset or your outlook or your life, that starts to give you something to aim for. And I was I was really unfortunate to to be employed by an organisation for for nearly five years. Um, again to meet and work with some great people, and and I was massively outside my comfort zone. This was a whole new world um, to me. This was a it was the cr- creation of a second, you know, working identity as it was, um, still holding on to a lot of those lessons that I'd sort of had in my in my previous career. But for me, what's driven me on is this, this energy I want to have for my, for my life now and my work, um, what I do, the way I want to come across to sort of people, you know, day to day and week to week.
1: Just tell us a little bit, is Performance Catalyst your business, isn't it?
0: There's a big focus on transforming teams. I think, again, from previous experience of of, um, being involved in teams and understanding what it takes to perform, you know, within high-performance environments, within sports. Oh,
2: Will, thank you so much. What we really look for in guests here is people who have really reflected upon whatever their pivotal moments have been, and you are certainly... One of those people. So it's been a really um, beautiful conversation. Thank you for sharing. Thank you.
0: Not at all. Pleasure. Thank you.
2: If you like the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram at Pivot Points Podcast, Twitter at Pivot Points One, or email us on pivotpointspod at gmail.com. And if you want to work with
1: us, we are Gabby Miller and Amelia Saberwall and our details are all in the show notes.
2: See you next time. Bye. Bye.